You're listening to Hypnosis Podcasts. Hypnosis Podcasts. You'll hear from dedicated individuals committed to advancing the field of hypnotism. This is an open forum for free exchange of ideas. Our mission of pursuing and achieving our big idea. To do everything possible to have our field recognized as a separate and distinct profession. We never get bored of telling folks that we help ordinary everyday people with ordinary everyday problems using hypnosis. We're consulting hypnotists. Learn from obvious expert professional hypnotists. Now, your host of Hypnosis Podcasts, this is Mark Eldridge. Welcome to another episode of the Hypnosis Podcast. Again, my co-host, Elson Eldridge. Go ahead, Dad. Thanks, Mark. This is Elson Eldridge, Jr. with our special podcast today with Don Martin, Vice President of the National Guild of Hypnotists. Don opened his first office in 1980, and since then, he has hypnotized thousands of people with practical experience in, well, just about every phase of hypnosis. Don, let me ask you right off the top, why did you become a professional hypnotist? Uh, good question, Nelson. I saw a demonstration of hypnosis back in the late 70s. I was in the Marine Corps in a place called Iwakuni, Japan, and there was an officer doing a demo of hypnosis, and he said, well, you want to volunteer? And I said, I can't be hypnotized. I'm too strong-minded. He looked at me, shook his head, and said, I kind of doubt that. So I went up, he hypnotized me, came out, made a statement that I know hypnotists never hear. I don't think I was hypnotized. And he said, sure he would. We'll do it again. And I'm thinking, okay, he didn't do anything the first time. Hypnotized me again. But this time, he ran a needle all the way through my arm, and I felt no pain whatsoever. Now, Missouri's model is the show-me state. And so I got hooked and caught what we like to say, the hypnotic fever. And I wanted to learn everything there was. And I came back stateside and looking for training. And keep in mind, I'm in Missouri, the late 70s, and how much training there was in hypnosis, which is almost none. And I joined the police department, spent a number of years working with forensic hypnosis. In 1980, I left the police department. I opened my first office. And I was really thinking three days a week six hours a day and real quick my three days turned to six my six hours turned to 12 and so I brought in another hypnotist and another and we kept growing within three years I had seven offices in three different states had the honor of having about 15 hypnotists working for me full-time so needless to say that first experience when I was 17 years old gave me the fever and still have it today thinking back when first building your practice, what would, if you remember, what was the very first strategy you used to announce to the world you were taking clients and your other hypnotists that you had working for you? You were building an incredible business. What were you using to get those clients coming so, so strongly? Sure. And there was actually two folds. Number one, I did what many of my colleagues started out doing. I said, well, how much do I bring in on a new client? 
And I made the mistake, because if my sessions were $50 back then, I said $50. And so I would try to make a judgment, how much am I willing to spend to bring in that $50? And I forgot that you can't take that base session price and decide what a client's worth. Because there's things such as self-hypnosis, uh, CI certification, um, private sessions, stage shows, book sales, CD sales, stress programs, and on and on and on. So I realize I need to be able to calculate how much is my average client really bringing in opposed to simply that fee. Then it made sense if I said, okay, I spent $50 and I brought in a client for 50 It's not uh, even. We're actually going to make money because of the other things that take place. Uh, like many, many people in our profession, I found that doing public speaking was the most powerful of all. I also found I made the typical mistake that many of my colleagues colleagues do. I would have a good talk. I would do a demo. And I'd wrap it up and say I have some literature in the back of the room on whatever they happen to be. And I could have a hundred people in the group else and I only picked up one client. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I did a demo. People liked me and it didn't work. And it took years for me to finally catch on that the only people who would pick up the literature were people who don't need my services. They don't want anyone to know they're going to do this. So then we started, instead of we have information in the back of the room, I would physically hand the flyer to each individual. Hey, want you to have this, want you to have this. Sometimes there was too many people. That wasn't possible in any way, shape, shape or form. So then I would have a colleague or one of the people stand at the door on the way out. Oh, Don, when did you have a copy of this? He wanted to have this. And if there's too many exits for them to get out, we do what I call the snatch and grab. I would have my flyer and my brochure on the table in front of every person. And I got tickled because I would take some of my newer hypnotists with me, and I said, I can even tell you who's going to book an appointment this week. He said, ah, look at the guy there in the green coat. He picked up the brochure, crumbled it up, shook his head no, and shoved it in his pocket. I said, right now he's out in his car smoothing it out and saying, oh, okay, yeah, they do bedwetting. Oh, good, I'm going to call him. But if I was waiting for these people to pick it up, it wouldn't happen. I was able to ascertain if we did it correctly, we pick up somewhere near a 10% booking on anything, whether it's a stage show we're doing, whether it's a corporate program, whether it's a session just talking about hypnosis in general. And so now when we have 100 people in the room, I'm pretty much sure we're going to pick up 10 clients. We've learned we don't count that as a $50 or so $500 because I know a certain percent is going to take my self-hypnosis. A small session is going to become a certified instructor with the guild. So the public speaking was always very, very hot. Uh, I promote hypnosis everywhere I go. Even today, after 40 years of full-time practice, I've mastered this where I can get somebody to even ask me what I do for a living in less than 30 seconds. I can sit at a counter having a cup of coffee. The person's on the other side of the counter. Wow, it's really kind of nice to be off in the middle of the day for a change. And sure enough, what do you do? I'm a hypnotist. And they all ask the same thing. Does that stuff really work? And I get them to inquire. I think it should be illegal for a hypnotist to be outside the office without having business cards. I think that we need to make it simple, easy, and pick up the, the individuals and be ready on the phone to close the sale and book an appointment for them. That's great advice. As you are one of those at the forefront
of helping professional hypnotists market their practices, we understand you strongly advise that marketing must not be an afterthought. No, it has to be number one. I have the honor also probably talking either live phone or in classes to close to a thousand hypnotists a year. And the vast majority, oh, oh, I hate the marketing aspect. And I said that's because they're so afraid that they may not get the session when they're talking to people. And Marketing hypnosis is like every other product or service in the world. It's a numbers game. The more people you talk to, the better response you're going to get. I hear from one of the reasons that people, I feel because I'm from a conservative part of Los Angeles. People are afraid of hypnosis. And I look at them and say, I'm from Missouri. If we can market hypnosis in Missouri, we can definitely do it in a real place. Will you have the individual, oh, God, that's the work of the devil. You should be killed. Yes, and I call that with my hypnotist abandoned ship. There is no way you're going to win that person over. It's not going to happen. Don't waste your time. Now, the person, I don't know if I can be hypnotized. We don't abandon ship. We explain to them why. We talk about waking, walking hypnosis. We tell them about what's going on. Because a person's going to book an appointment for you, number one, by location. They see you on the web page. They see you in the old, old, old yellow pages. Oh, he's close to me. And when the phone rings, you have to be ready. When somebody sends an email, it should be predetermined. Uh, whatever the contact is, we need to have it down to an art. If somebody called up and uh, I'm thinking about stop smoking with you, and whether it's email, Skype, whether it's on the phone, well, yeah, uh, we do it with hypnosis, and sometimes it works. And I like what I do. You want to make an appointment? Mm, probably not. You didn't win them over. Whereas if someone called up, I'm interested in your stop smoking. Oh, great. I'm glad you called. It's done on a private individual session. It ranges 45 to 60 minutes in length. And what's being done, suggestions are given, which will remove or dramatically decrease the desire, the compulsion for the cigarette. By attacking the problem that way, we also avoid the possibility of substituting things such as overeating. We do an 85, 90 success in one session. We take appointments Monday through Friday from 10 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock in the evening. Would the day or evening appointment work best for you? So it's pre-planned. We know that if I say this, we know if we talk about not gaining weight, we're winning the person over. So whether it's myself or back in the day when we did only private sessions, the reception is pretty much here. Now, am I ready to answer any questions? Absolutely. But the more people we can win over and the more we learn. And as new hypnotists, you know, I probably shouldn't have said this, or I shouldn't have said this. Uh, I've heard statements from new hypnotists, and I shake my head, and I say, I don't understand. Usually, Elson, when I hear something, even if I don't agree with it, I know what they were thinking. I had a class out on the West Coast, and one of the hypnotists there, he says, well, I agree with you. You need to remove fears before you induce it. 100%. He said, here's how I attack the problem of losing control. I'll tell a female client, look, if I tried to rape you in the middle of this session, it could not happen. And the noise I heard was my jaw dropping to the ground. I thought, are you out of your mind? We're taking something that they may not have thought about until you brought it up. 
And I tried to tell him, light-hearted. This is not rocket scientist. So when I want to address an issue of losing control, I tell him, you may have read or heard you can never be made to do anything under hypnosis you don't want to do. If I said, go out and rob every bank in the world, put the money in a wheelbarrow and bring it back to me, you'd pop open your eyes and say, no, you can never be made to do something under hypnosis. You don't lose control. You do the opposite. You take control part of your life you didn't have before. So all of our communications need to be directed towards here is the final goal. I think that a hypnotist is doing a disservice to his client if they don't get them to book an appointment. Because the one, okay, I didn't get them and they're continuing to smoke and they have problems down the road. Uh, you, meaning the hypnotist or the expert, you know exactly what they need, you know how many sessions it's going to take, and you know that whatever the fee is well worth it because you're making a change in your life. So I, I'm a biggie. Market, 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 and then when you're done with that, market some more. Absolutely. Well understood. Let me ask you, because you were just bringing up about new hypnotists as well. So when first entering the profession, yes. what's the best way for a newcomer to establish that he or she is truly a professional hypnotist? I found that we made mistakes, a lot of them. Uh, I always joke, Elsom, if I had a class teaching everything that failed, I could have a six-month internship because we had more things that didn't work. It sounded like a good idea at the time, but it didn't pan out. I remember my first two years or so, the biggest mistake I made, uh, two o'clock in the morning, thought pops in my mind, let's have books of matches made with our info on it. And I woke up my wife at three in the morning and God bless her. I said, oh, Brenda, Brenda, I got it. She said, oh, good. What is it? I said, who uses matches? She said, smokers. I'm going to have matches printed, stop smoking, one hour, da, 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 da. And I was so positive, I had 50,000 books of matches made. Now, of course, it tells me if it would have worked with 500, maybe you should try that first. I think we got one client out of all of those, and he canceled. So for years, if you were a relative at Christmas, you got a Christmas gift and a whole <laughs> cases of matches because I had no idea what I was going to do with those. Um, and new hypnotists, they're looking for ways of let me get going. Uh, we're going to be doing a class at Solid Gold on marketing to corporations. Uh, this is such an easy way and just the same that we'll get referrals off one-to-one -one sessions, we also get it out of corporate program. The mistake I see when I tell people, look at doing corporate hypnosis, they're trying to book Microsoft for a $10 million contract, and I wish them the best. But while they're going for the $10 million, I'm picking up the $2,000 one. I'm picking up the $4,000 one or even a couple of hundred. And companies are open to the idea of hypnosis. The three biggies are stop smoking, weight loss, and stress reduction. I have too many hypnotists else and say, oh, no, smoking, there is no more people smoke. And I said, yes, stats tell me that in the U.S., about 22% of the population are still smoking. Now, it varies from geographical location. Connecticut's one of the lowest. Kentucky's one of the highest. But they're still there. And people say, well, I don't see them as much. That's because you can't smoke in restaurants. You don't smoke here and here. But if you look at people who pull up the stop side next to you, you'll see the smokers have the window cracked about four inches, and there's this smoke come pouring out. 
but now they became more closet smokers. The other reason I push hypnotists real big, whether we're talking corporate, private, or group type sessions, is that you could stop someone in a lobby of a hotel and say, excuse me, do you know why people use hypnosis? And the two that you're going to hear most often stop smoking and weight loss. Sure, we do things like pain control, removing fears, athlete. But this is what excites me. Back in 1980, when you said, what do they do hypnosis for? It was more, well, you know, like shows or, you know, it's something spiritual. So we've reached the point where the average person, when they think of hypnosis, they think of it as a therapeutic tool. And again, a lot more things. But now we have people who are open to the idea, oh, yeah, smoking weight. If you could work with that, could you possibly help my child? Could you possibly help me pass exams? And it opens up all types of information. Uh, you also have to stop and think, am I about ready to say something to this prospect that's going to turn them off? And I know my following statement's going to irritate some people, but too bad. I have people who, oh, my God, you did wonderful. I looked at your web page. I looked at your literature. Oh, this is great. And if we said out of a group of 100, you're never going to have 100 of those who would consider using hypnosis. And the numbers I'm throwing out, I'm making them up as I go along. So if you're listening to this, don't write this down in stone. But if we just picked a number and said we got 20 out of 100 that will never, ever use hypnosis, okay, now we're down to 80. Let's see if we can scare away a few more. We throw in past life regression. And now we lose another 20, but that's okay. We still have 60. Let's throw in remote demon possession, and we throw in a couple more. So each time I'm asking the client to accept something, we go downhill. So we want to be able to, here's hypnosis, here's professionalism. Have I hypnotized people for past life? Hundreds and hundreds. But could you imagine me going to a Fortune 500? Uh, company, and we've done some of those, and say stop smoking, weight, stress, and past life regression. Because it does not matter if past life is real or not. If the person I'm speaking to does not believe it, they're also then not going to believe I can help them with the three biggies, smoking, weight, and stress. So we want to make sure we're not saying something, we're not doing something that's going to isolate people. If I'm doing public speaking at a psychic fair, the likelihood of past life being accepted is a lot more than working with a major company. So you have to stop and think. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter this. Your purpose is to get the account. And if you have to skip on talking about whatever it is because you think it's warm and fuzzy, your purpose is to help as many people as you can, whether it's in private practice or doing corporate programs. We need to do whatever it takes to be able to help these people. If you threw something out that turn them off, shame on you. Great advice. Several hypnotists, in fact, have recently shared with us the significant difference attending in, in a couple of cases every year, the NGH Solid Gold event that's made in the growth and success of their business. Mm -hmm. uh, from your experience, what makes this such a, a standout event? Now, the one thing I get feedback since uh, I do both the Solid Gold and, of course, the major convention in August in Marlboro, the people that I talk to, I love Solid Gold. Okay, why do you do that? And they say, well, it may sound silly, but I don't have to make a decision. In other words, at the convention, there may be 12, 13, 14 classes going on at 10 o'clock. 
I've also had people tell me on the main convention, it's like uh, Disneyland for hypnotists. There's so much going on. Whereas with the Solid Gold, and this attracts a group as well. Okay, there's five, six presenters, and I get to see all five or six of them. It's preset for me, and as I look over the literature and I say, oh, here's something on parse therapy, or here's something on smoking, or here's something on weight, in my case this year, something on marketing corporation. So the solid gold, not only being on the West Coast, which makes it easier for some people, but also it's an entirely different format. Dr. Damon, the president of the Guild, has selected five speakers that have really, really good track record on whatever the topic is they're going to be speaking. So the idea of, okay, I get to see everyone here for a lot of people is, oh, that's warm, that's great, that's fuzzy, and that's why I want to be there. They also, I have the honor of going to be doing a post-class five days after Solid Gold and becoming a certified instructor with the Guild. But both the convention and Solid Gold both offer uh, advantages. I think, I don't have the exact stats, but I would guess 70, 80% of the people who go to Solid Gold will also be there in August for the convention in Marlboro. That's a good, probably, hopefully, a good guess. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Hey, Mark, uh, any questions on your end? I got a couple more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Don, I, I know you've got a great background with law enforcement, but, but when you uh, first got involved with uh, hypnosis, as you mentioned, you were in Japan. You were actually a Marine in Japan. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I was. Uh, my position was I was part of Christ crew, and that's so silly. People, when a plane crashes, they put on the sober seat, and they go walking through the flames and save the pilot or whoever is on there. And I joined the Marines when I was 17. Vietnam was still going on. And we're finishing boot camp, and they're giving you an assignment. And I think it's passed out at random. And I said, oh, what's this number? Oh, that's a clerk. A clerk? Yeah. You mean the guys who file stuff in a file cabinet? Yeah. Now, keep in mind, I'm 17, I'm young and dumb. And, I, oh. and the guy said, well, there's four other things if you're interested. And, okay, mediocre, and then I saw crash crew. I said, what's that? Oh, those are the dumb people walk into fires. I said, now that sounds good. Put me down for that one. And so I, that's what I did overseas in Japan. Uh, Got out earlier than normal because we had a plane that crashed and not real bad, but a lot of fire. We got it all out, and these silver suits have to be the hottest thing in the world and mix that with flame. So as soon as the fire's all out, we're taking off our coats and you know throwing them over, looking, make sure everything's not is out, not burning, and didn't see it, but a tire on the jet was still on fire a little bit, and it burned enough where the tire exploded and sent burning rubber 20 foot from the plane, and it hit my left arm. To this day, I have holes in my arms about the size of a quarter to a silver dollar. And one of those, so when you talk about PTSD, kind of been there and done that. And for years, the only thing I saw when I took a shower is a scarred up arm. So I did a lot of self-hypnosis, changing the way I view this, changing the way I feel if there is pain involved. So when people said, oh, I'm here for pain control, kind of did that before. A lot of people in the military 
military or veterans. They'd like to go to another person who possibly was in there. If they weren't in there, that they understand what they may have gone through. So I think my Marine background helped me go from that point on, because typically your average ex-Marine, when they leave the Corps, they say, what am I going to do? And a lot of them become cops. And so I kind of went through that phase and then thought, okay, I'm I'm working eight hours with police department, another eight hours in my business, and my wife and darling daughter at that time felt like they needed to make an appointment to come and see me. So even though I did that, 1980, I thought one of them has to go, and I left the police department, but I also left the door open. So if it was a major, major crime, I would be there to do the forensic. On the forensic with the police department, I've done everything from a small theft to the murder of a police officer and everything in between. And did this day, it still amazes me how much information there that we don't bring out. Uh, but my background with the Marines gave me, okay, we're not going to have an excuse why this doesn't happen. We're not going to do this. So as I mentioned before, even in Missouri, I was determined. I left the security of the paycheck, even though it wasn't large, with the police department and went out. And I said, there's no way I'm going to fail at this. I'm going to make a success. And as I said, been doing it since 19. 80, and I can't imagine myself doing anything more than what I did the last 40 years for the next 20 or 30. What an amazing story. And being involved with NGH for so many years like you have, uh, how does uh, one just becoming a hypnotist, getting involved um, with becoming more of a professional, how does that really help them as far as uh, not only getting certified, but really uh, taking the, their business and profession to a whole new level? Sure. Um, I Years and years ago, I did a couple of seminars for an organization on the West Coast. And I thought, okay, I joined your organization. I said, what do I get for my whatever dollars it was? Well, you get a certificate suitable for framing. I said, oh, good. What else do I get? A certificate suitable for framing. And I heard about three times, okay, I got this down. I got invited, and part of it was I met Elsom out on the West Coast. He said, you ought to come to the convention here uh, in New Hampshire with the NGH. And I remember sitting there, we're having a Coke together, and I said, okay, members of NGH, what do they get? And he says, certificate suitable for framing. And I thought that was going to be it. But then we have the Journal of Hypnotism, okay? Then we have a magazine called the Hypnogram. Then we have ways that they can rent training videos. And then they got this, and I got the prize. And, oh, my God, what a difference. So when I was invited to go out to NGH, I was still skeptical. I thought, okay, don't know anything about the group. I joined the organization just simply. I felt if I'm going to be speaking for them, I should be a member. And it took me about half a day on day one to understand, well, what a difference. The place is professional. Everything they do is top-notch. There's none of this, well, here's a flyer that we ran off on the copy machine, and it looks like you ran it off a copy machine. So from the facility, from the entertainment, the banquet dinner, everything struck me as being super professional. So I see people who want to become a certified instructor. I see hypnotists, well, should I look into this? I said, there's not an organization anywhere in the country, in fact, now anywhere in the world that has the credibility of NGH. I, I tell people, give up a couple of burgers and become a member because it's going to do more for you directly and indirectly than you can ever believe. Uh, 
people who have joined the guild, they're usually dropping other membership because they say, I'm getting absolutely nothing from it, and I get so much as being a member of the guild. So I think the guild has set the standards. Uh, Dr. D said, I got it summed up. I said, what's that? We help everyday ordinary people with everyday ordinary problems. And it's one of those, wow, the hypno light went off for me. I said, you can't find something simpler. Uh, key hypnotist many, many moons ago he passed on was a gentleman named Orman McGill. Orman was in his 80s, still doing sessions and stage shows. And I'm so honored that we got to be friends and we're sitting down having a coke together. And he said, Don, these new people want to make this so complicated. I said, yeah, you're probably right. He said, you know what we really do? I said, what's that, Orman? We help people change their mind. <laughs> okay, you're right. I'm working with the smoker. I'm going to help you change his mind the way he thinks about cigarettes. Person needs to improve their golf game. I help him change their mind. So the guild has such a variety of professionals, and the thing I noticed, 99% of those are willing to help the newer person coming into the profession. So if you said, oh, I, I need to cut back, don't cut back on your membership of the guild. You'll regret it. Great, That's Andrew. Terrific. Great. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Really appreciate all you've done for the profession. Look forward to seeing you all up in Wonderful. Las Vegas at Solid Gold. Wonderful. And as we look toward the future and look at what NGH has accomplished, well, as the vice president of the National Guild, what uh, would you say makes you the proudest of this organization and what it has accomplished and, and what it is accomplishing. Um, it, it has to be, we took it away from, okay, it's simply a money-making organization. Uh, another one of the th things that won me over, whether we're talking about becoming a member, you have to have more than a check. Because so many organizations, as long as you have $75, you are now a certified member with the Uppity Muckety Muck Hypnosis Organization. Because they really don't care if you know a thing. Where the guild, you're applying for membership. They want to make sure you have a minimum of $100, uh, at least 75 of those uh, being in-house. They want to know who you were certified with, who this. Uh, Jay, who's the executive director of the guild, he's told me many times I have people a little upset because they apply for membership and they don't have the minimum requirements, and we don't take them. So the minimum requirement isn't a check. Minimum requirement is you have training, and they have it set up. The other one I thought was brilliant. They have the non-certified member. So the person, we have people, I'm not a hypnotist. I don't want to be a hypnotist, but I love everything about hypnosis. Oh, good. Then you're not a certified member, but you still receive the written material. You still receive uh, the hypnogram and the easing and everything else. For the hypnotist who, oh, I'm missing a few hours, good. This allows them to become a non-certified member, and once they meet the requirements, it's switched over to a certified member. And then they're also able to pick up referrals from the guild, which especially for a new person, it doesn't get any better than 
somebody calls him up, oh, I got your name from the National Guild of Hypnotists. Right away, that newbie has credibility. And I see just more and more of that. Uh, the Guild has the ability to be flexible. Okay, things are different than they were 40 years ago, so we have advanced. Okay, this is now a hotter topic. This is where we're going. So the Guild is staying up with it. It's not, well, they started back in 1950 and they haven't changed a thing. Whether it's the training curriculum, they have managed to keep the stuff that, ooh, this is important, and at the same time, add more to it. So it's a constant growth. I, the same way if I ever reached the point I knew everything about hypnosis and there was nothing new, I'd probably quit. The guild isn't sitting there just simply because of the oldest certification body in the country, the world, but they're always improving. They're always offering more and more for their membership. Uh, so I'm excited to see what they done over the years, and I'm even more excited to see where we're going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now as the Guild continues to advance. Thank you so very, very much, and for your insight overall. And, Mark, you have one more question that we need to ask him, which is, how do our, reader, how do our listeners get hold of you? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mine's real simple. Um, I'll give you a phone number, but the email, I do all my own email. I don't care if it's 30, 40, or 50 a day. And my email is dmotten at hotmail.com. So D-M-O-T-T-I-N at hotmail.com. And if you have some questions about the Solid Go weekend coming up, I have a toll-free number. It's one 800 288-3065. So 1-800-288-3065 or dmotten at Hotmail. And even if you just said, I've got a question about if I can help you out with that, we'll be here for you as well. Fantastic. Don Martin, thank you so very, very much, sir. Hey, my honor to be here. You have a great day, and hopefully uh, I'll see some people out at Solid Gold that's listen to this. Either way, have a great weekend coming up. This has been an Obvious Expert production. You've been listening to Hypnosis Podcasts. For more actionable tips and insight, subscribe to this podcast today so you're the first to hear new episodes jam-packed with exclusive content. Check out www.hypnosispodcasts.com. Thanks for listening.